Okay, if you've been with us recently, you'll know that uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of John. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to be turning to John chapter 6, which we'll have a look at in a moment together. And this passage shows two occasions where Jesus overcame what we might call the natural world. And we have two miracles here that we're going to look at this morning. The feeding of thousands of people from one boy's pat lunch and Jesus walking on the water. It's interesting, other than the resurrection itself, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that you find in all four Gospels. Each of the four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, obviously felt it was of significant importance to include it in their accounts of Jesus' ministry. And uh, we're going to look at the account from John's Gospel and we may refer to, to one or two others as well. So if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to start reading uh, from verse 1 of John chapter 6. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a small, here is a boy with, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place and, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Then Jesus, uh, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the the bread after the Lord had given thanks and once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Let's pray together and we'll look at this passage together. Father, we do thank you for uh, this account uh, uh, of uh, these two miracles of Jesus and we we do ask you this morning that you would speak to us from it. Uh, Lord, uh, for many of us they will be familiar passages 
but I pray, God, you would speak to us afresh, please, this morning. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us from your word, please. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so firstly then we've got the feeding of the 5,000. Now crowds follow Jesus. And time and time again, this is a common occurrence in the Gospels, isn't it? Wherever Jesus goes, crowds seem to follow him. And uh, John tells us it's because of the miracles. And because of the miracles that Jesus was performing, they attract attention, they attract a crowd, and crowds follow, wanting to see what Jesus might do next. You know, we've had Jesus turning water into wine. That's probably quite a popular miracle. And we've had Jesus healing a few people. And uh, whole crowds now are interested. This is, the, this is the, the word on the street, if you like, that Jesus is about and doing wonderful things. And so the place to be is where Jesus is. And crowds are following him, longing to see what, what he might do next. But Jesus probably wanted to get away, to have a bit of a break. And the other Gospels tell us that this, this occurrence, this miracle, the feeding of the five thousands, happens uh, when Jesus, or rather when the disciples, return from their first ministry trip. Do you remember Jesus, after a while, gathers the twelve together and says, excuse me, paraphrasing it, I'm sure you'll forgive me, he says, guys, you've seen what we've been doing, you've seen what I've said, uh, now you go and do it. You go and heal the sick, you go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, and, and come back and we'll see how you get on. And so the disciples are sent off, uh, Ahead of Jesus, they're sent off onto their their first trip on their own. And when they come back, uh, the the other Gospel writers tell us that they're just coming back now. And you can imagine, can't you, after having been away on their their own, they want to share with Jesus all the experiences that they've had. You know, all the good things that have happened, all the challenges that they've overcome, everything that's happened in the time they've been away, I can imagine them coming back full of it. Fully excited. You know, if you go away uh, on a good trip, be it on a holiday or a business trip or maybe uh, uh, to surf in another situation, when you, want to, when you come back, you want to tell your friends about it, don't you? You want to share the experience. This is what happened on my trip. This is, this is what I got to do. Or this is what God did amongst us. And you come back all enthusiastic. And I imagine that's how the disciples came back. And wanted to share with Jesus what happened. But instead of having time with Jesus on their own, they look into the distance and there's the crowds coming. There's the crowds coming, wanting to be with Jesus. It's also after, just after John the Baptist was beheaded. So I, I can imagine Jesus, you know, perhaps wanting some time alone now to, to mourn the loss of John the Baptist. And just to sort of gather his thoughts afresh. You know, after going through... Uh, troubled times, often we don't want to be with lots of people, do we? Just want some space on our own, just to, to get over it emotionally. Well, Jesus, as well as being fully God, was fully human. And so I can imagine him feeling that. And so you've got the sort of the tension now of him wanting just to sort of process that, if you like. He, he would have known it was going to happen, but it would still have affected him. The disciples coming back going, Lord, Lord, guess, guess what happens? And in the other direction, all the crowd's coming. And this is where you've got the tension of what's happening. But Jesus, rather than saying, crowds, sorry, I need some time alone now. I just want to spend some time with the guys and hear what what happened while they were away. Matthew tells us in his account that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He looked at the crowd 
and had compassion on them. See, Jesus loved people. And it's true today. Jesus still loves people. And it's not just the mass of the crowd that Jesus loves and is interested in, but it's the individuals within it. Jesus looks at a crowd and can see lots of individuals and would have compassion on them. Not this compassion, oh, that's, you know, I feel sorry for them, it's a great mass of people, but I would have compassion for each one individually. He was moved by their situation. Jesus would have been moved by their, by their circumstances. Do you remember what happened when, when Lazarus died? Do you remember the account in the Gospels? He's a, a friend of Jesus, and the guy dies. And uh, Jesus, after a couple of days, goes to see uh, his family, Lazarus' family and friends in their, in their village. And he turns up, and as you can imagine, there's, uh, there's lots of mourning. Everyone is sad because Lazarus has died and he's been in the tomb now for a, for a few days. And Jesus goes knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But what happens? Jesus goes, he sees the people mourning their loss. And as he goes, hey guys, it's okay, I'm going to raise you from the dead in a minute, just don't, don't bother crying. No, 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 Jesus is moved by compassion again. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And he didn't weep because Lazarus was dead and he couldn't do anything about it because he knew full well that in a few moments' time Lazarus was going to come walking out of that tomb because he was going to raise him from the dead. He wept because he had compassion on the people. He saw their loss and saw their sorrow, saw the damage that death does and wept over it. You see, Jesus was moved by situations. He wasn't somehow remote from things. Sometimes we think, oh, well, he he was God. He's God. Well, yes, he is. But he was involved with people. He was fully human as well. And so he was involved emotionally. Jesus was moved by situations. And on this occasion, he has compassion on the crowds. I wonder, what what about you? Are you moved by situations? Are you moved by people's circumstances? Or or do you try and detach yourself emotionally? I wonder, do do you look at situations or do you look at people from just a human perspective or do you look at something from God's perspective? From his perspective? Do you see problems or do you see potential? Do you see hassle or do you see hope? I wonder, how do you view situations and view, view things? Do you, like I suppose we could say, do you love the lost? People who don't yet know Jesus. What's your attitude to them? Do you love them? Want to have compassion on them because of their situation? and want to share Jesus with them? Or do you think, oh well they don't know Jesus, that's a shame. And you walk on by. How is it for you? How is it for me? We've talked before, haven't we, uh, on a Sunday morning, how before uh, evangelism, before we can talk about that, what we need to talk about is our love for people. Because evangelism and our, our desire to share Jesus with people comes out of a love, doesn't it? It comes out of a wanting to share hope with people in a situation, wanting to, to share something of the good news that we've received. It comes out of a love for people. Jesus tells, on another occasion, uh, three parables to illustrate the value of, of people in God's sight, doesn't he? Tim's wearing a t-shirt about one this morning. <laughs> How, you know, when there's uh, 99, so stand up, Tim. Tim is my uh, illustration here, thank you very much. 99 uh, in the, the sheep are in the sheep pen, but 
Jesus uh, you know, talks about the shepherd leaving them and going off to find the one who's lost. That lost sheep. Jesus talks on other occasions about you know, the lost coin. A woman sort of searches the house to find it. Or maybe the lost son Jesus talks about. You see, people have such a value in God's sight. And we need to see them with the same value as well. And so Jesus sees the, the crowd, sees the value of each individual person, has compassion on them, and uh, Luke tells us that he then spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Luke often refers to the kingdom of God and talks about the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel is good news, isn't it? And the kingdom of God is that uh, new rule of God. That new reign of God that has come, yet not quite in all its fullness. But when Jesus comes again, it will come in all its fullness. And you see, Jesus healed those who needed healing as a demonstration of the kingdom's power. As a demonstration of God was at work in people's lives. And he still does it today. Some of you were at the uh, celebration we held as a region last weekend uh, when we were looking at these things and looking at at God healing today. And uh, we prayed for for many uh, last Sunday evening. We're going to pray this morning as well. Because Jesus heals today. It's that demonstration of the kingdom's power. Yet we live in a tension, don't we? We live in that place where the kingdom of God has come, yet it hasn't come quite in all its fullness yet. That will happen when Jesus returns. And so we live in that in-between period. The sort of a now and a not yet, as it's been described. It's that sort of in-between period where we we have a taste of what is to come, a taste of the power of the kingdom, but it isn't quite complete yet. And so that's why when we pray for the sick, we see some people healed and some people who aren't healed. And um, there's no formula to why that happens. The reality is it's the in-between time. And only God knows. But should that that stop us from praying for the sick? No way. I think, this is not necessarily biblical, it's just statistical, the more people we pray for, surely the more people we'll see healed. That's just the the odds of it, isn't it? Which is not a biblical phrase at all, so forgive me for that. But surely the more people we pray for, the more people we'll see healed. Because God is healing today and does heal some, heal many in fact. So let's be praying for more people. <laughs> because as we do that, I'm sure God will heal more. And it builds our faith, isn't it? And we're going to pray this morning uh, for any who are sick and ask that God might come and, and bring healing even today. And so Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing And uh, as time goes on, Jesus realises that the people need something to eat. He's been teaching for a while, uh, probably healing lots of people, and he realises the time and realises that they're probably getting hungry and uh, they need something to eat. And so he asks Philip where they might buy bread. I feel sorry for Philip, really, don't you? You know, they've got these great crowds and Jesus comes along and says, Philip! Where are they going to get some food then? Can you, can you go and sort out some lunch for these guys? And he looks at the crowd and sees, or we're told, 5,000 men <laughs> and thinks, what's going to happen now? Well, Philip goes, well, he panics. He goes, well, not even eight months, eight months' money, eight months' wages could, could buy 
even enough for one person to have a bite. You know, Philip's trying to work it out, thinking, well, you know, what, what supermarket's going to be open that's going to have this much bread? And, look, we haven't got that much money, Lord, and how are we going to do it? And I can imagine him sort of running around and panicking a bit now. And uh, Jesus knows what's going to happen. And then Andrew, pipe, you know, sort of speaks up, doesn't he? He sort of pipes up. And uh, he goes, oh, 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 there's someone here who's got his pat lunch. <laughs> He's got, got a few rolls and a couple of fish. And uh, I can just imagine the other disciples falling about laughing now. They're looking at the crowd and Andrew's coming, hey, look, we've got a pat lunch, Lord. And the other disciples, Peter, and they're thinking, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? That's hardly enough for the little lad. It wouldn't fill my stomach, let alone this great crowd. But Andrew has seen something here and he brings the kid forward and Jesus is about to do something marvellous. I sometimes think about the, the, the little kid who had his pat lunch still because either he was very disciplined and hadn't eaten it yet or more likely had been so engrossed in what was happening he'd forgotten about food. Some of you, uh, I'm sure, will remember going on school trips as a child. And uh, I know for, when I went on school trips as a child any sign of a pat lunch normally disappeared before the coach had left the school gates. It was the first thing he did, wasn't it? You get on the coach and you start your pat lunch. <laughs> well, not this lad. He'd, he'd, he'd still got it in his bag. Hey, I, was bet he, I bet he was glad he didn't eat it. <laughs> I bet he was pleased he hadn't eaten it earlier. And so Jesus now sees that he can do something and he creates some order by getting the people to sit down. Administrators love this passage. You know, administrators could preach for hours on, on you know, Jesus organising things and organising the crowds. And he puts some order into what was happening and he takes what's given, he gives thanks and he starts handing it out. Or well, some of the other account, uh, accounts have uh, uh, tell us that the disciples were ones that handed it out. Now we don't know how it happened, but I, I wonder, do you sometimes think about things that quite, aren't quite explained in the Bible? Do you think, I wonder how it happened? I do, I think, I wonder how it happened from five rolls to enough food for 5,000 men. Or maybe, I mean, this isn't what is in scripture, but let's just think about what might have happened. Maybe, you know, there were some bags there. So Jesus put some food in each bag and handed it to each disciple and said, right, go and hand it out now. I can imagine the disciples thinking, (laughs) he's lost it again. He's, He's just broken up a few bits of bread and he wants us to go and hand it out. So the disciples have learned to obey Jesus, even though they don't understand him yet, and put their hand in the bag and sort of go to the first person and go, there's, there's, there's your crumb. <laughs> and put their hand in the bag again and go to the second person, there's your crumb. Put their hand in the bag again and think, oh, well, there, there, there seems to be still some bread left. Well, maybe you can have a couple of crumbs. And after you know, giving a bit of bread to a few people, maybe they just sense that something is happening now, that it's not running out, and... I can imagine some of them, probably Peter, because he was the impetuous one and just tended to sort of jump in with both feet and think about where he was going to land afterwards, thinking, I know, let's have a great clump of bread and gives it to somebody and sees what happens and then he realises that there's all the bread that he needs and maybe the people who got the crumbs to start with are going, hang on, hang on, hang on, I want some of that now. And so I can imagine there being great joy and hilarity as the disciples go round, handing out great clumps of bread and huge bits of fish and feeding this great crowd. I mean, how many people do you think it was? 
The Gospel writers tell us it was 5,000 men. Well, I think it's fairly safe to assume there were women and children there as well. So, what's, what's a good guess? I mean, 10,000? 15,000 people? It's not unreasonable, is it? Probably. Out of one packed lunch. And, at the end, there's still 12 basketfuls left over. Maybe it was in the baskets that they handed it out. There was enough to go round and still there was more left. Miraculous sign, isn't it? A wonderful occurrence. But think about the boy who brought his packed lunch. He just brought what he had. It wasn't very much really, was it? A few loaves, a couple of fish, not even a packet of crisps. He just brought what he had and he gave it all to Jesus. And look at the result. Thousands and thousands of people had more than enough to eat. The little lad gave everything he had. And Jesus was able to take it and multiply it. What about you? What do you bring to Jesus? Do you hold anything back? Or do you give your all to him? Do you think that maybe you you can't come with just a little you have and think, I wonder, could Jesus really do anything with that? Listen, this boy gave Jesus all that he had. It wasn't very much. But he gave it all to Jesus. And look at what Jesus was able to do. More than any of them could have hoped for or imagined. Because Jesus multiplies whatever it is that we give him. See, God is a God of multiplication. Not even just addition, make it a little bit bigger. Jesus multiplies now multiplies whatever it is that we give him. And it's true for you and me as much as it is for this lab with his pat lunch. He will use whatever it is that we give him. You don't think your gifts are much? You don't think you've got much to offer? Listen, don't worry. He can multiply. Because God is a God of multiplication. Think about the parable of the talents. Now Jesus is into multiplication. Far much more than we could have imagined, or you know, how, how would have you done it if you'd been Jesus? Would you have been sort of cutting the bread up, hoping it would go round, thinking, "Well, if we just do a thin slice here," he just couldn't have done it. But Jesus multiplied what was given to him, and there was more than enough. And then a little bit later, we've got another supernatural occurrence as Jesus walks on the water and overcomes the uh, the typical law of nature that says you can't walk on water. Some of you may have tried it, and uh, I don't think you probably would have got on very well. We can't do it. But Jesus did. And the disciples are crossing the lake in a boat, when Jesus sort of walks out to meet them. Having missed the boat, it doesn't seem to worry him, just sort of carries on walking off the land, onto the water, off to meet the disciples. He's a strong wind is blowing, and the waters are quite rough, and the disciples see this figure coming towards them in the dark. And we're told that they're terrified. There's no surprise there. Probably you or I would have been terrified as well. But when they recognise Jesus, they invite him into the boat, and immediately the boat reaches the other side. That's one of those just few words in Scripture, isn't it, that John just seems to sort of put down as a passing comment. And I read it and think, well, how did that happen? But immediately the boat reaches the other side. Maybe it's like when the Holy Spirit takes Philip in Acts 8. And, uh, and just moves him. What's Jesus doing here? He's showing to his disciples yet again that he is above all. 
above all power, above all rule, all authority, above any law of nature that you or I may come up with, because, well, who put them into place in the first place? It's Jesus. He's above all of that. But there's a couple of things not to be missed here. Why did Jesus miss the boat in the first place? What was he doing? Any of you? Bilada? He was in the hills alone. Thanks, Jules. Jesus, John tells us that Jesus withdrew to the mountainside to be by himself. And Mark adds that Jesus went off to pray. So Jesus wanted some time alone and some time to pray. Listen, the point is clear. In the midst of busyness, and I think you could argue that feeding several thousand people is quite busy. In the midst of busyness and pressure, Jesus withdrew to have some time alone and some time with his Father. The challenge is clear to us, isn't it? We need time to rest, to relax, and also time to be with Jesus. Time to be with our Heavenly Father. See, Jesus needed that time to be with his Father. Listen, so do you and I. And even in the midst of the lifestyle that Jesus had, he, he withdrew and put aside time to be with his Father, to be refreshed physically, refreshed spiritually, refreshed emotionally. Jesus knew it was important. And we need to know that as well. But as we begin to wrap up, let's just summarise a, a few things. Jesus can overcome any law of nature. Now, certain things God has put into place, hasn't he, so that things run smoothly around us. Things like gravity. That's why you or I aren't sort of floating around and sort of holding on to bits of the ceiling and trying to keep our feet on the ground because God has ordained that there is a law called gravity that helps keep our feet on the ground. And there are other things that God has put into place in this world so that things run well and run smoothly. Not that he's then withdrawn because he hasn't. He's still intimately involved in making sure those things happen. But there are certain things that we've learnt to expect as a norm. Well, they don't have to be a norm to Jesus. Didn't affect him, didn't bother him. And Jesus can break in and change any of those laws or normal occurrences just as easily as he can break in and bring healing. And in just in the, these few chapters, he does, does both. You see, these two accounts closely follow a couple of accounts of Jesus' healing, just in the previous chapters that, that we've read over recent weeks. And Luke talks about Jesus' healing here as well. And we need to be reminded that Jesus still heals today. Jesus can bring healing, can change nature. Both are demonstrations of the power of the kingdom of God. And he's still into doing it today as much as he was then. And also, Jesus will multiply whatever it is that you offer him. What would have happened, do you think, if the boy hadn't given his lunch? Well, I'm sure something else would have happened. I'm sure uh, the crowd would have been fed one way or another. But Jesus chose to use this little lad as part of the miraculous occurrence. He chose to use this kid's pat lunch to feed thousands. didn't have to, but he chose to do it that way. Why? Because he likes involving us 
in what he's doing. He did then and he does now. Why do you think, you know, we're commanded in Scripture to pray for the sick? You could argue, well, God can heal just like that anyway. And he can. But often he chooses to use you and I in the process. He's the one that heals, it's his power. He's the one that gets the glory. But he chooses to use you and me in, in the process, same as he chose to use this little lad in the feeding of these thousands of people. Jesus wants you to be part of the miracle too. To be involved in reaching your friends for Jesus. To be involved in seeing the kingdom of God come in power. To be involved in seeing whole nations change and society be transformed for his glory. He could do it just like that, but he chooses to use you and me in the process. We have a wonderful opportunity ahead of us. Wonderful opportunities for God to use us. And if we allow him to, if we bring him everything, as that little lad brought his pat lunch, then what God can do is beyond our imagination. Because as we bring everything to Jesus, he's the one that multiplies it. Let's stand together and we're going to uh, pray as we finish. And guys, can you come back and just lead us in a song in a moment? Father, we do thank you for your word to us, Lord Jesus. We're uh, so grateful that these uh, accounts of your earthly ministry have been preserved for us. And, uh, and we do thank you for the challenge that it brings. Lord, thank you that you are into multiplication. And as we bring you all that we have, uh, you multiply it wonderfully. And, uh, and thousands in this instance were fed. And Lord, as we bring you our gifts even today, that which you've put in us, that which comes from your grace anyway, as we offer it back to you and offer ourselves back to you time and time again you multiply that which we give to you and we do thank you for it and Lord Jesus thank you too that you are still in the business of healing people today and Father we pray that more and more we would see demonstrations of the power of the kingdom of God more and more we'd see you break in and change situations, bring healing and change lives. For your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.